0: Welcome to the game.
1: It's a beautiful thing
0: with it's Mark, Mark Duffy. Duffield, Duffield. Golly gosh. The son of a darkened shearer and a self-described ball-playing jack of all trades. We shouldn't be surprised, should we? Who lit up footy fields in the southwest before becoming WA's preeminent AFL scribe. My goodness! And in Glenn Glen Quarterman. Wow, wow! proud Victorian parked permanently in the West, who would have played 300 AFL games if not for his incredibly small hands. Goodness gracious me. Together they are Duff Duff and Quarters. quarters. You know who. And this is your favourite footy footy podcast. It's unbelievable. Yes, hello everybody. (coughs) Boy, oh boy. Wowie. The grand final has been run and won. Well, kind of one team was running the other team. I don't know where they were. This is the Duff and Quarters podcast. This is the post-grand final and pre-trade edition of the Duff and Quarters podcast. As usual, we are brought to you by TabTouch. And those with the touch can better their bet. Download TabTouch today. Please gamble responsibly. And know that the Gambler's Helpline is available to you on one 858 858 if you encounter any difficulties. Quarters, Robbie Williams turned up. Delta Goodrum turned up. 100,000 people turned up. Hawthorne definitely turned up. Sydney didn't turn up.
1: Sydney did not turn up. Uh, magnificent performance by Geelong, but a stinker of a grand final, unfortunately. Glad you mentioned Robbie Williams. Fantastic. Um, I still I still believe in all Australian uh, entertainment. Me too. But I thought that Robbie, uh, he was magnificent. He was the act they needed because <laughs> they've had a few misses. And uh, let's not forget Delta, which came up incredibly well and sang beautifully. Um, the grand final itself, an absolute stinker, as I said. You've got to take your hat off to Geelong. They did it their way. Chris Scott refused to yield. Um, there were some dramas at the end of last year about the direction he was going in. He remained steadfast. He got the players to buy in, most importantly, and he said this is the way forward and proved all his doubters wrong, including myself, Duff, because I picked them to finish ninth, and they won the flag. So I, I just think it was a coaching effort for the ages from Chris Scott, and I'm not just talking about one game. I'm talking about the whole body of work since he joined Geelong, and I thought it was a performance of the ages by the veterans. Isaac Smith clearly with the Norm Smith. Dangerfield for his grand final performance, but also his finals performance wearing the Gary Ayers medal. And Joel Selwood, Tommy Hawkins, of course, as well. Uh, but Joel Selwood, uh, great scenes, great great performance, led the way in the first quarter, put the cape on and said, boys, follow me. And it was just a fine performance by him. And the after grand final um, stuff was just brilliant. I've, I've actually heard some people... Being critical of him for sort of oh what's you know stealing the spotlight, please just back off a little bit. This this bloke has his comments were interesting after the game. Geez, they're hard to win, and no one's worked harder than Geelong. I reckon to win this flag. And no one's worked harder than Joel Selwood at the coalface. And he's allowed his moment in the sun. And it wasn't really about him anyway. I love the fact he gave his boots to the Oz Kicker of the Year. I love the fact he got his friend with Down syndrome over the other side of the fence. Loved all of that. He's entitled to his moment, or his week, or however long it lasts. Good on him. And good luck to Geelong.
0: Geez, the critics come easily, don't they? I I would have said Joel Selwood didn't steal the spotlight. I think the public... Um, yeah, afforded Joel Selwood the spotlight he w- he deserved. Mm. He's one of the all-time greats now. Um, he was in footy folklore anyway. He'll now be a headline act in it. As I um, wrote in a piece, I did it was a it was a premiership for the ages, but a premiership for the aged. Yes, great well. line. The old the old blokes um, came to the fore, and it was, was an interesting line from Tom Hawkins on the field after the game. And he talked about, he said they used a swimming analogy. He said, we didn't want to swim between the flags. We wanted to go out into the deeper water where it was more dangerous. We wanted to be riskier. And he said, we made some beautiful footy. And basically, they we looked at them when we saw too old, too slow, and they just saw too safe. Um, and that's what they believed was holding them back. Um, and they took Sydney to a place where Sydney couldn't swim. That's, they that's, sure did. That's basically what happened. And, and some of Sydney's young players uh, floundered. Another fishing analogy there. Yeah. Um, and, but we should give credit to a few of the ones that did stand up. Robbie Fox played on Jeremy Cameron and played a great game. I thought he was their best player. Um, and I thought Chad Warner just kept plugging away. In and the
1: taking him on through the guts. Yeah. Made and one mistake. And then and it was two. a 50... Well, <laughs> what was the second? Oh, the not, 50 not giving the ball penalty. back. Yeah. <laughs> so, but one one moment in the game, and you can't blame him for that. He, he would have been very frustrated. But I love the way he attacked the game. I love the yeah. way he attacked the centre. It would have been very hard to do so given the way Geelong was set up. I, you know what? That first 10, 15 minutes when they were getting goals from stoppages pretty easily in their forward 50, I thought, oh, this does not auger well for this game. It
0: felt center. bad yeah, from the get-go, didn't it? The fact that... Geelong went forward, kicked the first couple of goals and then basically locked the ball inside their attacking half for most of the um, the first quarter. I think they were plus 19 in contested possession in the first term, which meant that um, Sydney just couldn't win a contest. They were 20-8 to eight inside 50, which means Sydney spent the whole time defending. And Geelong took something like 35, five marks, maybe even maybe even more than that, maybe, maybe close to 40 marks in the first term. Now, if Geelong takes more than 100 marks in a game, they generally win. Yeah. They're on track to take about 160 mm. at quarter time. The game was completely on their terms. There was n- nothing, unless Sydney could get hold of the ball in and around the contest, there was nothing they could do to change it. If you look at what Longmire might have been able to do to change it, just radical moves maybe. Maybe he could have... Seen the writing on the wall with what was happening with Franklin, and shoved him onto a wing for a while, and put Logan McDonald to full forward. Yeah, so this is the other thing. This well, other Geelong thing. made the
1: ballsy call, and as Chris Scott said, he probably could have got through, but we made the call on him. It's a grand final. Yeah, and we tell me. These calls really come off in grand finals. And I had an uneasy feeling with Sam Reid. And I'm told in the warm-up, he looked cooked. And so why the hell did they roll that dice? And and, and yes, the benefit of hindsight. But you know what? They had plenty of evidence to suggest he should not play.
0: Well, they said themselves he was unlikely. Well, why play him? So in footy, your first thought's your best thought. Mm. And yeah, he was unlikely to get up. Well, he shouldn't have got up. And look. They had so many problems, this was not the difference between winning and losing the game. No, but it
1: would have helped having another fit player out there.
0: So let's just say, for argument's sake, Logan McDonald plays. He's a, a marking target. He kicks goals. Let's just say he clunks a couple in that second quarter. They're two goals closer at halftime. Exactly. And then they get the first one in the third quarter. Suddenly we're talking about a three-goal game, and then suddenly Geelong are looking back over their shoulders. Yeah. Not,
1: and um, we'll never know because that, they didn't roll the dice.
0: And it might have just given them a sniff. They were really only competitive for 30 minutes of the entire game. Uh, but, look, let's not spend too much time on Sydney's woes. Well, you
1: can't. We've pretty well covered it. There's no one else to talk about.
0: You know the other thing, um, about, and this is a postscript, no one does Mad Monday better than the Cats.
1: Oh, I loved it. The old, infirm, <laughs> 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 the Zimmer frames came out. and the uh, I loved it. I loved it. And you know what? Good on you! And before people get in the media, get too rolled up, or oh, you're having a crack, you are having a crack at us, and we called you too old. Fair you proved enough. Proved us wrong. Uh,
0: absolutely. I thought I just when I saw them tumbling out of the minivan, <laughs> and the bloke with the zimmer frame, I don't even know who it was. It was, was Dangerfield. But, I well, think Dangerfield had a zimmer frame. Well, Dangerfield was holding the bloke up, but there was a bloke with a zimmer frame. Still don't know who it was. Maybe it was Jack Henry. Yeah. looked a bit like Jack Henry. He's tumbled out onto the <laughs> pavement. I just laughed and and I thought, yep. No one does this better than you, Mike. Zach
1: Tui, with the cap and the pipe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. They do it well, don't they? And they put the fun back into Mad Monday because, let's be honest, you hear the words Mad Monday and AFL clubs must just, you know, something must happen in their pants because we know good things don't happen on Mad Monday.
0: So what the Cats remind us with Mad Monday every year, and this is why I take my hat off to them every year, not just this year, they remind us that they're not out there curing cancer or achieving peace in the Middle East. It's footy. It's supposed to be fun. They often talk about relaxed professionalism, which is what Chris Scott preaches. And this, when you achieve a result like this, all those things just get a massive tick, don't they? And, um, uh, yeah, hats off to them. Now, quarters, you've got some stats on what happens to teams who go badly in finals.
1: Yeah, so I'm not sure this necessarily relates to Sydney because they are young. They're, they're a young squad. But when you have a loss like that, there's a, there's a fair element of, you know, our brand, our style has been good enough to get us to the grand final. and Then all of a sudden it's, oh dear, it's not anywhere near it. Well, I think a couple of things happened on Saturday. I think they just froze in the headlights, most of them. And I also think Geelong brought their A++ plus game. And so, but if we look at the grand final losses by 40 plus points since 2000 and how the loser fared the next year, makes for pretty ugly reading for Sydney. 2021 Western Bulldogs, 74 point loss, lose the elimination final in 2022. Greater Western Sydney, 2019, 89 point loss, finishes 10th in 2020. Adelaide, 2017, 48-point loss, 12th the next year. may have been
0: other factors. Oh,
1: there were other factors with Adelaide as well. West Coast, 2015, 46 points, loses elimination final the next year. Of course, bounce back to win the flag two years later. Sydney loses 63 points in 2014. Uh, and then loses the semi final in 2015. So they're the outlier amongst this, which, you know, we know they're a good club. St Kilda loses by 56 points 2010, grand final replay after drawing, loses the elimination final. Port Adelaide 119 in 2007, finishes 13th. Brisbane 40 points 2004, 11th in 2005. We'll let them off because they, the they were, they were done. done. They were going for four in a row. Yeah. Collingwood 50 points 2003, finishes 13th 2004, and Melbourne. Uh, 60 point losers in 2000 at Essen and finishes 11th the next year. So there's some damning statistics there and real red flags for teams that come off a brutal grand final loss and how they fare the next year. I think if anyone's equipped to handle it, it's Sydney and it's John Longmire, their coach. So I'll certainly have them in my eight next year, if not my four. I've got to see how the summer pans out. But yeah. It makes pretty brutal reading,
0: doesn't it? So they'll be in my eight. I think they'll be in my six, and we'll wait and see how yeah. the summer goes before I have them in my four or not. Um, they are young, as you mentioned. Um, I think they need to rethink what they're doing with Lance Franklin, and I don't mean cast him to the four winds. I just mean Lance Franklin cannot be the focal point next year. So,
1: what role does he play?
0: Um, I. I Get him high up the ground. Yeah, so he
1: plays a Jeremy Cameron role. It's
0: what he does. You know, he's a flanker, he's a long range shooter, he's a beautiful field kick. Get him high up, get him involved in midfield change of possession. Um, and, and if he drifts forward and kicks two or three goals, you know, well done. If he kicks one or two goals, that's okay. So well.
1: Logan becomes your spearhead?
0: Um, I would think so. And I think, look, bad mistake to play him on the weekend, but Sam Reid is a marking target. Yeah, so he, play,
1: he becomes your second forward, and then you have Buddy. Uh, playing further up the ground, I'd be challenging
0: that. I, a couple of their players that I had really bad ones. I'd be challenging a little bit. I think it's time Isaac Heaney okay. became the bona fide superstar. We think he should have become two years ago. And we remember we used to talk about this with Christian Petrarca We did, and, and so, so you
1: reckon he's at that that pivotal point? I
0: think he's got another gear. Yeah, okay, and we're not seeing it. I think Heaney needs to get fair income. Like really, really, really fair, Dinkum. He's got a long-term contract now. They clearly rate him off the charts, and I think we all do when we see the best yeah. of him. But he wasn't great on the weekend. He wasn't their worst, but he wasn't great. Yep. And um, and they're the sort of games where a player like that just has to so go. I thought Parker was okay. Parker just whacked away as he you'd expect. What he does. Parker yeah. to do. What about Mills? He was okay until halftime. Yeah. I thought he tried really hard to lift him in the second quarter. And then he was kind of neither one thing nor the other after halftime. I, yeah, I didn't think... He's, they, been, he's been good.
1: I mean, they've had good years. Isaac Haney's had a good year. Callum Mills has had a good year. But you're right. I think on grand final day, those younger players, when you see your leaders sort of shying away from it, you're thinking, mm, you know...
0: I thought Papley threw himself around. He did. He, he got too far away from goals... I don't think
1: that was necessarily his fault though. No, no. He the, got exactly, that, up.
0: that was the way the game was being played. He had to go there to impact the game. I thought he tried really hard to impact the game, but um uh, yeah, he wasn't their worst. But just they didn't have many quarters. No, they didn't. They which didn't is have a, many.
1: and they and they the worst thing about these grand final losses, these big losses, you've got the whole summer yep. t- to stew in it. And they will be stewing in it. So I'm not sure what Longmire said to them after the game. I was thinking at the time, this is a really important conversation he's about to have with his players. Which way do you go? Well, they deserve to spray. But how big do you spray them? Because there's nothing you can do about it next week. You've got the whole summer to think about it. I think they're... I think if I was Long Mill, I would have been pointing to Geelong and how they handled the occasion and what some of their senior players did. That's what I would be saying if I was John on my own. Far be it from me to tell him what to do. He's a great coach. He's one of the great coaches of the modern era. So I'm sure he'll have, the, have said the right things and have them back on track. But I'll be really interested in them next year now after that loss. Um, as I said, I'll have them in my eight. I'm just not sure how high yet.
0: So Chris Scott, the – the coach with the highest win-loss in football history. 70%. He gets his second flag. Um, he's earned that.
1: I'm glad he got it. The first one, he deserved. But there was always the tater. well, this is the squad that Bomber Thompson developed. Yeah. And you just walked, r- rode in on his coattails. I don't think that was the case. I think he was a well, very good coach you know what? in 2011.
0: There was probably an element of that. But you know what Chris Scott was? He was smart enough to say, if it ain't broke, yeah, well, fix it. Yeah. don't try and fix it. Let's keep doing what we're doing until it doesn't work anymore. But he did he did say that this year. yeah and this is the team that he has evolved. He's evolved the style, but he's stuck by the cattle and both of those things give him great credit as a coach and and seventy percent win loss this is one of the modern era's great coaches oh,
1: absolutely and and so that's why I'm pleased because you do sort of have to frank it, don't you yep. Ross Lyon doesn't have a Premiership next to his name. I think he was a great, one of the great coaches for a short period of time yeah. But Chris Scott has evolved through several changes to the way the game is played and has survived and and thrived. Uh, interestingly, Isaac Smith today's inked a new one-year deal. So he should. As he should after that performance. He um, can say play
0: a big grand final, Isaac he Smith. He
1: can. It was a great performance. I, I, I sort of knew with the goals he'd kicked that he was going to get the Norm Smith. Obviously, Dangerfield was the other player in contention. I would have been happy with either. But I think given the goals... And what Isaac Smith did, I, I was happy for him to win that, but even happier for Dangerfield to win the Garrières for his performance over three finals. If you're
0: Joel Selwood, play on or retire.
1: I'm retiring, but yeah. I'm not Joel Selwood. Um, he, I just can't see how you can go out in a bigger note. Well, you can. You can go out back to back. But I, I'm not sure. The body language from everyone, not only himself, but his family, surely told the story, didn't it?
0: I heard not through official channels but through unofficial channels about six weeks ago, Joel Sowell was cooked. Yeah. So I would expect him to retire. And I also would expect – you can always be proven wrong, as we were with Geelong this year. I would expect he would be wrong to go on. He was managed beautifully yeah. this year. But a year further on, after a great success like that, a season where you have to go deep into, into September, which shortens your preparation, shortens your recovery time, all those sorts of things, I think it would be a mistake – for him to go on, and I think this is the perfect time to go out. They will be bringing in Tanner Bruin, we think from uh, GWS, and they can start you know, succession planning in and around how their midfield looks. The other thing that Geelong needs to be very mindful of is that um, think of who didn't play. So Parfit, Medisub, Sam Menegola didn't make the 22. Mark O'Connor just scraped in, Max Holmes, um, didn't play because he was injured. There's a lot of players who are going to need more opportunity if Geelong is to retain them. I think Joel Selwood, It is. it would be a great time for him to step away. It was
1: interesting to see everyone interviewed after the game, his teammates. I don't think any one of them uh, did not break up when they were talking about Joel Selwood. Yeah. So once again, I think the, the body of evidence is there that, that I think that was his last game for Geelong. <laughs> what a great way to go
0: out. So he's the one that drives that culture isn't he? Like, he's just ruthless. Um, there has been no tougher competitor in the competition over his time in the game. And look, he joins, you know, the likes of Hodge and, and, and those types now as the, um, what is he, four premierships yep, in. This is his is. first as a captain. Um, he's been a star in most of those games. Um, yeah, one of the great players of his year. I like
1: the bookends too. As a kid coming in, a flag in his first season and his final game. That's if he goes out. Uh, that's that, that really would be great story to write uh, and they've renamed it jo Long. Joe Long Joel Long yes <laughs> well, <done. laughs> well he's the king of Geelong right now forget <laughs> Billy Browners. forget my old mate Darren Lyons he <laughs> is the king of Geelong as we speak right now
0: isn't it amazing how you get these echoes through history in footy so to me this reeked of Carlton 1995 yeah who beat Geelong and didn't just beat him smacked him by mm-hmm. 10 goals in that 1990 which and it was A grand final like we saw on Saturday, a massive anti-climax. Both teams came in off great preparations. And
1: the Norm Smith that day was Greg Williams. Greg Williams. Who was ageing and on his last legs.
0: And a former Geelong player.
1: And a former Geelong
0: player. And the other one was, so Tommy Hawkins plays in his second grand final or his second premiership in 2011. He takes the game over. It was his coming out party as the dominant forward in the AFL competition. Yeah. He takes over the last quarter of the game and takes about four or five contested marks. Played on Ben Reed, Sam Reed's brother. Ben Reed was injured, and different set of circumstances. Collingwood had kept Ben Reed going because they felt they needed him, and uh, it just he just got exposed by a big strong uh, opponent in the in the grand final, but. History can be beautiful, and history can be cruel in the way it repeats in AFL footy. Mm. Quarters, let's get on to some trade news. Yes. Jordan DeGoey, Collingwood of St Kilda. Well,
1: a really interesting twist in this today. So he's, he's got a contract in front of him. Now, he is swerving at a behavioural clause that has been put into this contract. Now, is this... See, I'm a bit stunned by this. Of course, is this a part of the should this be a part of the collective bargaining agreement between the AFL and the AFL Players Association, I would assume this behavioural clauses in every AFL contract. If not, there should be. Geordie's a special case. Why, but why should there not be behavioural clauses? Do you, Do you reckon
0: the behavioural clause was you have to surrender your passport? Oh, <laughs> of every season? I think
1: it might be. <laughs> I don't think a mid-season trip to Bali is all that wise. <laughs> I, Can you imagine, though, remember the pre-season where one of the players reportedly sat down with Ross Lyon and Ross Lyon said, who's your favourite player? Oh, the kid said, I'm going off to Bali next week, then I'll be coming back for pre-season. He said, who's your favourite? Chris Judd. Well, son, I don't think Chris Judd be in Bali at this time of the year. Do you reckon, what would he have thought about Jordan go saying, ah, during the mid-season break, I'll just go off to Bali?
0: I think it was, um, do you think Chris Judd's going to Bali next yeah. week? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, Don't think that kid made it to Bali. Uh,
1: I'm, I'm intrigued by that one. Um, looks like Bobby Hill's getting to Collingwood from uh, from GWS. I'm glad that trade's seamless. He's had a bit of a – provided GWS are compensated, I think we're talking second round, and he has had some um, health that's, issues. That's so plenty I'm, of compensation yeah, for Bobby Hill. Yeah, so, um,
0: that's no disrespect to Bobby Hill, but Bobby Hill, if they get a second round pick – Second or third,
1: I think, was the cackle. So yeah, um, right. uh, the one that really intrigued – well, so but staying on Dugowie, I think he goes – I think he stays. But I'm just really quite stunned by that, um, the news today.
0: So what are you saying? Are you saying – when you ask, surely all player contracts have behavioural clauses yes, in them? Should they should. Are you saying that why does Collingwood need a behavioural clause because they should be in the state. No, well, I'm
1: saying obviously there aren't because they've put one in. And right. he should have a behavioural clause given what he's been up to in the last r- recent uh, few years. So, I, 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 well, 10 years, really. Yeah, but, but
0: look, I. Isn't there a part of you that wants to see Geordie go to St Kilda? Because he's got St Kilda written all over him, hasn't he? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I don't a, want that
1: to happen to St Kilda. I like sh- St Kilda.
0: It's a shame that they don't have the St Kilda disco still. Well, was he their player of the finals? Probably
1: not in the third final, but he was, or the sec- their third final, sorry. But he was a very, he stepped up to the plate in the finals.
0: Yeah, I, he played a great and powerful final series. We know the talent. We know the talent. We know the talent. We've seen the talent. It's, and he's integral to them. Yes. So
1: that's why I think they'd be low. to... You know
0: what really... Can, he, can you take him to the bank?
1: Well, he proved in the finals, I think you can. Really? He stepped up in finals. What about Sydney? Probably, oh, well, that final game, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, but he still played well in two finals.
0: I think we thought he was one big final away from being the player of the final series, mm. and then he wasn't.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's what... You know what intrigues me with them is the whole Brady Grundy situation. Yep. So what if... Why? So McStay comes in, Grundy goes out. So I don't think the portion of the salary they'll dump, pretty well it'll be mitigating. So I think what they pay McStay is pretty much what they would have had to pay. What are you gaining and what are you losing? So I'm just saying with McStay, Grundy goes out. What if Cameron goes down? Grundy can continue to ruck for Collingwood. He We forget how quickly what a great player Brady Grundy is. Why can't Cameron play more as a
0: forward? So I think... What Collingwood's view of it They'll get a second tier ruckman Probably a mature body That guy will run around in the VFL He will play if they need him to um, And their view will be um, Cameron will lead the ruck um, We've gotten good footy out of Mason Cox Mason Cox has shown the capacity To be a ruckman And um, McStay can pinch hit in the ruck, and we'll we'll get we'll get a fourth from somewhere. Crew uh, can sort of play in the ruck. I think there's another one there somewhere. I think there's a youngster there somewhere. So I, I think that's the view they will take of all that. Um, I know what you're saying. My interesting thing about the Grundy contract is that how badly it's blown up their cap because no, it's not the first time, Duff. No, exactly. So this is they, recent history. But Collingwood is they lose Trelaw, they lose Stevenson. A lot of this was about the Grundy contract, mm. so it may be that the the Grundy contract's just one of those bad contracts that, and no fault of Brodie Grundy's, who was a, a very good player right up until the time he was injured this year. But it may sour the is relationship this significantly. Back ended
1: this contract
0: It's just a lot of money. It's, yeah, it's, it's close bad. to a mill a year. It's a lot of money to commit to a bloke who is a pure ruckman and mm. and hasn't shown any great capacity to go forward. And the
1: other goals. interesting. Uh, trade news. Well, Dunkley, so reportedly been offered six years, seven to 750K a year for Brisbane. Yeah, How they get this done? Now, they'll get it done, but they'll have to go into deficit, I assume, because they've are going to ha- they've got 15, 33, 44.
0: They've got Will Ashcroft coming in. They've got in. Will
1: Ashcroft coming in, so they'll have to accrue some points somehow through trade, so they'll get something for mixed day. But you've also, if I'm Essendon or Port who are into Dunkley... Just say so Dunkley goes, I'm having a crack at Jasper Fletcher too. Jasper Fletcher.
0: So there's a twist in this too. It is possible that if, um, depending on how the DeGoey situation pans out, Collingwood may elect to trade for McStay. They may elect to So that if Dugowie goes, they may view their compensation pick for Dugowie going as better than um, just getting McStay for nothing. So, it's kind of like a business decision, and they may say, okay, we'll trade for McStay. So, Brisbane may end up with a pick that helps them balance those Well, they're going to need to,
1: yeah. and, and, I, and there's going to be other manoeuvrings they're going to have to do, because I don't see how they get all this done if they don't. Um, yeah. They can go into deficit, but how far can you go into deficit? That's the
0: other question. Well, it just really stuffs you the following year. It's ugly and it's untidy would be the word I'd yeah, use. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't know why this is allowed. Trade deficits? To be honest. Well, why yeah. do they allow salary dumping? Um, so I don't I think, think it's th- the other well, one. I think there should be a penalty for so it. So
1: they're talking about Jack Bowers, Gold Coast, Jack Bowers and Seven and some salary dump. Yeah. that's Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'm wary about that.
0: Yeah, Will Brody last year. You know, that was, well... Not a pure salary dump, but basically they had a surplus to requirement player.
1: So they've got a few leaving. Rankine's another one. Um, so they're talking two million clearing of two million from their books. Yeah. So they've got some. Seri- they'll have some serious coin to play it's with. It's
0: amazing how a club that finishes there can have to clear two million from their books, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Uh, the other one at Collingwood is um, Ollie Henry. So we know Geelong's into him. We know his brother plays at Geelong and played very well in the final, in the grand final. Um, so I think they're super keen to keep him, as I would be. I think the kid's got a lot of talent. We saw that over here against Freo in the wet. So they'll be super serious to keep him on their books, I think, Collingwood, Yeah, Ollie
0: Henry. Let's talk the local team. So yes. obviously the, the first point of business for West Coast in trade period will be to try and get the junior Rioli trade done and and try and get what they feel is adequate compensation for that. That will follow on, I think, from the Carl Amon trip. So they get an end
1: of first rounder, early second rounder?
0: Somewhere in the early 20s, maybe mid-20s. So they're happy with that? No. No. I think they'll push for more than that. End of first round. But I think if I was them at the end of the day, if that was all they got – I would suck it up and I'd get on with life.
1: Well, if you get Junior in, and we've seen Port come out today uh, talking about the role he'll play, it's that mid-forward connection, which which has been the what he was at his very best at West Coast. I don't think there was any better player, better vision uh, at finding a player inside fifty um, than Junior.
0: We know the talent.
1: Yeah. We so that's he and of course with Rosie going for uh, mid now, so he'll he'll play an important role there, provided they get him fit and they are. Uh, They've come out today and said, we're pretty confident we can get him fit. Well, I hope you do, because we want to see him at his best. But yeah. there's some work to do.
0: Yeah, it does make you wonder, I have to say, as to given – and and you know my view on West Coast doing this trade. Do the trade, get on with it. It's opportunity. But it does make you wonder, given the level of support West Coast provided for Junior Rioli, why he couldn't get fit for them. I agree. That's, you know, that's a that's an interesting question to be asked. Yeah, because um, that club did stick very fat with Junior Rioli. Um, Now, Fremantle uh, looks like Blake Akers will be one of the early ones done. So third round? Future third, which I would have said if Carlton get Blake Akers, given the season he had for a future third, that's a very, very good deal for Carlton. Really good deal. How is that
1: deal getting done?
0: uh, Well, he's not in contract. Okay. So basically, sometimes you're a windscreen, sometimes you're a bug. Uh, the Griffin-Logue one, Colin Young was on trade radio, was an honest, charming Colin yesterday. Like, no issue whatsoever with Fremantle. It must have been a different person I had the phone conversation with back so in... So is there an issue night. with Frio? Of course there is. Yeah. It's been conflict all year. Yeah. No doubt. Um, which is why Fremantle was so concerned. They had just had to position themselves to make sure they could trade for Griffin-Logue um, because their concern was that the manager would try and shoehorn him through the pre-season draft. So um, Fremantle has been constantly trying to position themselves just to make sure they could... So we're
1: told both Griffin and Tucker are still uh, keen on the move to North Melbourne despite the um, ongoing or the yet-to-be-started investigation into Alistair Clarkson.
0: Well, according to Honest Colin, yes, yes. So um, no reason to doubt Colin. Um, I just hope these trades go ahead um, and they're done in a civilised and fair manner. Um, for all concerned, and uh, otherwise I think it would leave a, a bad taste in a few people's Does
1: Rory Lobb get to the dogs?
0: Uh, that's a good question, um, and I don't know the answer. I mean, structurally, it's hard to argue with Fremantle's position that he's a contracted player and he's important to their structure. That's that's almost impossible to argue. And despite Collins' attempts to paint the picture that Rory Lobb was guaranteed a trade last year, no, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was basically told to come back to the club, do his best, and they revisit it. That's what he was told. So um, if Roy Lobb doesn't get there, then Roy Lobb has to honour the contract that he signed, that he has financially benefited from, that's netted him an average of $700,000 a year for four seasons so far and into a fifth next year.
1: So he's got one, okay, one year left. And he's 29?
0: 29, turning 30. There are reasons why Fremantle it may be in their interest to do the deal. But I think Fremantle has to look at what list they have left for next season and if they believe Rory Lobb's a required player, he's a required They're player. They're two
1: big outs, Logan Lobb, for the structure of that. Both team. of them, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, look, if if Josh Tracy and Jai Amos were both a year further along or if, let's assume that Luke Jackson gets to Fremantle, if Luke Jackson had shown more acumen as a power forward, then I think... Roy Lobb would be a definite release Well,
1: Jackson's coming to free I saw him partying with Sean Darcy at the weekend
0: Yeah but they all party with each other no, no, mate, I'm being facetious Fremantle's not that big a place mate. <laughs> if Perth isn't If you go out in Fremantle Chances are you're going to run into someone else Perth isn't Duff No true
1: Every true. time I go to Optus Stadium in the summer to see the cricket I always see someone I know within proximity of me That never happens at the MCG I can guarantee you Very true It's amazing very how true. that happens here Um uh, Lloyd Meek, will he get to Hawthorne? Why does he want to go to Hawthorne is my first question.
0: I, You know what? To me, just I keep thinking Meek, West Coast. Don't be surprised if Meek turns up at West Coast. It just works. Yeah, I think it does. Particularly if Jackson gets to Fremantle. I, I just think it works. Um, it works for um, West Coast. They get the ready-made successor to Nick Natanui. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's Nick Natanui, but he's mature-bodied. He is an AFL ruckman. He's an outstanding character. He's still getting better. He's improved markedly over the both of the, same, the last two seasons. I think he'll improve a bit more, and if he improves a bit more, he'll be an absolutely viable AFL lead ruckman, and I think that works for West Coast.
1: Uh, Just on Lloyd Meek too, expect him to poll well tonight because, of course, it's the Sandover medal tonight. Yes, the night of nights in Western Australian football. Uh, So Lloyd Meek uh, had a pretty good year with Peel Thunder, so expect him to poll very well. Hayden Skloith, uh, retiring, would become a two-time Sandover medalist, so he would join Stephen Michael as a uh, two-time Bulldogs uh, Sandover medalist. Jai Bolton from Claremont, Jesse Turner from Swans. Uh, Meek's another one to keep your eye on, so uh, that's tonight.
0: Yep. Um, uh, Jesse Turner I'm going to say From Swan Districts mm. Not that I've watched A lot of Waffle Footy This year But um, my mail is That he's an eye catcher um, And fair chance The umps might Notice him Pick him up And run with him Early tip for the Waffle Grand Final Quarters I'm going to say Claremont They do go well against West Perth.
1: Yeah, and I just like the Ashley Prescott story. He tried to hose it down. You know, the the Darren Harris v. Claremonts, don't hose it down. You can't hose it down. We won't let you hose it down. It's a story, and that's what it is. Um, Do you reckon
0: Darren Harris might do a bit of Teddy Whitten, we stuck it up him, if he gets up over the months?
1: I reckon he will, (laughs) and I reckon he should. But I just look at that.
0: So many coaches lose a grand final by two points in an absolute epic. And then, and then get done, roll 10
1: Um I really like the depth. Both are pretty strong midfields. I really like this experience and depth in that Claremont midfield. And we continually ask the question about them, Bailey Rogers, Declan Mountford. Um, why aren't they playing AFL?
0: Yeah, I just, I've said this to you before about Bailey Rogers. I look at Bailey Rogers and I just don't see what the catch is. You know what I mean? Like, usually there's a red flag. There's something. There's plenty of players running around and the IFL
1: ju- who are far worse than Bailey Rogers. I
0: just don't see what the, the red flag is with Bailey Rogers. He's a beautiful kick. He's got a strong body. He's a good runner. He's not super quick. But my understanding is he's got a massive tank. He can, you know, run the ground very well. Um, he's a good decision maker. And he's got outstanding character. Um,
1: there might be a question about this coming up shortly, actually.
0: Ben Edwards is another one. Ben Edwards stepping out of traffic... He's lightning fast. Lightning. Now, he's a scrappy kick, and that's a problem for him. But you can work on that. I, I think that he's got the sort of kicking action that you can work on. There are some kicks you can't fix, and there are some kicks you can fix. I think if I was an AFL club, I'd be taking the punt on believing I can fix Ben Edwards' kicking a bit. Because that speed... Brian out, Myers? ...out of traffic. It's electric. Well, that Brian Myers kick. Yeah, that's different. He so it t- can he be done. Tends to hit targets though, Grindmeyer. He tends to be a good kick. And West Perth has got a few of these players as well. Luke Meadows was unlucky. Went over there. I think he played with Box Hill. Didn't quite um, get through. Um, they've got a you know Kai of course, who trained at West Coast in the preseason is widely regarded as the the best power forward in the competition. Of course, Black
1: is getting on a bit now but um bolton's another one he's getting on a bit now yeah. black got his opportunity this year obviously um and you can sort of see why i mean he's an accumulator isn't he would he, but is he is he has he got the afl characteristics you need maybe not but um i'm glad he got a taste of it this year yep now it's time for this saddle up your camel it's time for the thirsty camel mailbag Yes, and thank you for your support, Thirsty Camel, throughout the seasons. It's been another cracking one. We've given away plenty of cartons. There have been lots of mail. Uh, Please keep them coming. Please keep them short. And uh, we're starting with Bruce Walker, a long-time listener, Perth boy, working and living in Vietnam, Duff. Yep. Junior Rioli's initial problem, I think it was just prior to the West Coast Eagles Cats final. There has been something off with the Eagles since then. Was there a division created in the group? Then Simpson's comments, we just don't like the hub. I think he was saying our dynamic in the hub is that word. Then the COVID thing at Hippie Club. Maybe Junior Riolo leaving will be the best thing for the club, especially if we get Georgiades out of it. Cheers, Bruce. Don't think they're getting Georgiades out of it.
0: If I'm Port Adelaide and West Coast says the deal doesn't get done unless Georgiades comes home, you just say, oh, well, you can keep Junior. That's what I'm doing if I'm them. Um, Georgiades is a budding key position player with great talent. Took Mark of the Year this year. He, He takes a Mark of the Year contender twice every three weeks. Um, Very exciting player. Look, I have no doubt that Junior Rioli's circumstances have created angst amongst the Eagles player group. Because they've had to make special rules for Junior Rioli to help him to fit in, uh, to welcome him back. Um, They had to go without him for two years at a time when the club was smack bang in the middle of the premiership window. Um, let's face it, if Junior Rioli plays that night against Geelong, that's a semi-final if you win that, you're two wins away from a back-to-back premiership so yeah, I've got got no doubt there would be angst in the player group um, over Junior Rioli, having said that they did stick by him, they did welcome him back, Um, he is uh, a very popular person with the Eagles fans, Uh, perhaps not so much now, but certainly has been Um, yeah, I think there's something to that
1: Still a premiership player. Don't forget that. Um, this one from the Nuffington Post. But importantly, Duff. Headquor-
0: the Nuffington
1: Post? Nuffington, Nuffington Post. Headquartered in Bonny Doon, Victoria. Home of the Golden Trout Nightclub, which I've been to a few times.
0: Also, uh, the holiday spot for the castle. for the castle. Yes, yeah.
1: yes. And there is serenity now. There. Feel I've, the serenity. I've boys. felt it. I've seen it. I've been there.
0: What at the Golden Trout nightclub? No, not there. <laughs> Sitting on the
1: banks of Bonnie Doon with my wetting a line, trying to bring in a carp. Uh, high Duffin quarters. The AFL has recently approved salary dump trades. Gold Coast are now offering this type of trade with pick seven on the table for anyone who will take Jack Bowes given he has a back-ended contract with two years remaining. It's been reported that both WA clubs are not interested in this trade. Surely this would be a perfect fit for West Coast, as it allows them to get a young, highly-rated player plus another top-ten pick. I assume they have cap space, as Trevor Nisbet has stated they can cater for Jackson, and had budgeted for Rioli. Am I missing something, or are the Eagles missing a great deal? It's a
0: very good question. A top-ten draft pick is a top-ten draft pick. Yeah. So... Yeah, we'd have to know what the catches are. Well, the
1: catch is salary dump.
0: Yeah. Well, he may be on a significant salary, and maybe if you can't fit him, you can't fit him. Um, Trevor Nisbet is a stickler for order with his salary cap. So basically, well, he he certainly has been in the past. Now, whether it's got a bit out of sync recently, post-premiership, I don't know. Maybe it has, but certainly Trevor's a great believer. You don't... Pay your tenth best player more than your fifth best player, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, I think they've probably got a bit out of whack because Josh Kennedy was cheap, and there were other sort of lesser players that probably ended up on more money than than Josh Kennedy. But um, generally speaking, he won't want to bring a player in on a lot of money under those circumstances. Even
1: with a pick seven on the table,
0: um, look, Jeez,
1: that would be tempting.
0: It'd be tempting. It'd be tempting for free.
1: wrap it up. Be tempting for get free. a big L Jackson in there, perhaps.
0: Yeah interesting to see how Fremantle views that Mm. yeah very good call well if
1: they're releasing a couple they might be able to fit him in that
0: pick and the other pick would get the Jackson deal done Mm.
1: Uh, hi boys love the show I may be a bit early on this one but if the AFL has a festival of footy across one weekend uh, we're talking about Magic Round that was uh, promoted last week. Uh, how would it work with the Tassie team being the 19th team? Would one team have to miss out every year or would they do it over two weeks or be too quick to add a 20th licence? Keep up the good work. Jaden from Two Rocks. Good point. Um, I would think if you're going to bring in Tassie, you have to bring in Northern Territory down the track. or
0: we'll cross that Tasman Bridge when we come yes. to it. Um, I would say that um, we're talking about a festival of footy next year, there will be 18 teams next year.
1: Yes, that's right. it Tassie aren't coming in
0: next year. And clearly, they would have to rejig it if um, if, a, if a 19th licence. Uh, I think we both think that if Tasmania comes in, we'll either go to 20 or back to 18, mm. depending on whether they rationalise or whether they expand further. I would hope they don't go much bigger than 18. I, th- I think 18 stretches the talent pool enough. Do
1: you? Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't... Yeah, Okay. I think 20 is okay. Uh, hi, g- hey, gents. Congrats on another great season of the D&Q podcast. I have a couple of quick questions for you. Firstly, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the talent of the teams this season. Punter's keep remarking that Geelong overhauled their game style, but to my eye, they play similarly to previous years. I believe that Geelong is as good as they were the last few years, but the talent around them has dipped. I think a Richmond from 2018 or a Melbourne from last year or a Hawthorne from their dynasty beat this year's Geelong team. I think this is backed up by Collingwood, Fremantle and Sydney pushing up the ladder as well. What are your thoughts on this? Lastly, do you think we rely too much on the stats when choosing best on ground or a Norm Smith medalist? Isaac Smith's stats from the weekend were eye-popping, but to my eye, danger was far more impactful on the game.
0: Dangerfield was enormous in the first quarter. So was Joel Selwood, but let's not forget that um, Isaac Smith kicked two goals in the first quarter, and let's not forget that he had more of the footy than any other player. And
1: Hawkins got the first score on the ball, but they were goals that broke the game open, Mm. I reckon. They, They really made a statement. They were statement goals, which he makes in big games, Isaac Smith.
0: Dangerfield gave them territory and dominance around the stoppage. Um, Smith and Hawkins gave them scoreboard pressure and to me more than anything else Sydney melted in the face of the scoreboard pressure because does Sydney melt in the face of physical pressure? Not normally not normally I think they just saw the game getting away from them alarmingly quickly and they panicked and froze a bit which
1: happens in grand finals so often Hi Duff and Quarters should the AFL reconsider the rules about father-son eligibility combining Waffle League games and AFL games Claremont prospect Ed Allen son of Ben won't be eligible to join Frio as Ben played 47 games for Frio but 66 games for Claremont Frio haven't had a father-son selection where someone played 100 games for the Dockers Victorian clubs have had many Father-son col- selections Well, there hasn't been many Coming from the interstate clubs Kind regards Chris from
0: East Frio So some Melbourne clubs Do better out of this Than others don't they, they should, well, Clearly Co- Geelong And Collingwood Collingwood Western Bulldogs yeah. They're the ones That are the main beneficiaries Of Father-son um, Other clubs Don't do Anywhere near as well So it's not Across the board There have been Arrangements in place here Where a club If you had played 150 games For a waffle club uh, then your um, son was eligible to join either West Coast or Fremantle, and I think the clubs were split up. Um, I think it was yeah, there were four East Fremantle, South Fremantle, maybe Perth and Claremont for Fremantle, and um, I think West Perth, East Perth, Swan Districts, and Subiaco for oh, yeah, for West Coast.
1: So that was how it was. Yep. When did that change? Well, it may still be. Yeah. I have a feeling it was still.
0: Let's not forget that West Coast has now a generation of young people coming on board. I mean, the fact that Ed Allen's son is the age that he is means that Fremantle father-sons will start to come on board as well. So the, the playing field will be more equal. Um, but, uh, yeah, it has been something they've tried to redress. Um, clearly, Geelong and Collingwood and Western Bulldogs have right. Benefited greatly and it's been impactful in premierships.
1: Yeah, well, good luck to them.
0: Mm. Uh, hey,
1: fellas, big fan of the pod. Listen each week while driving the roads in the northern ag regions for work. What are your thoughts on the value of the want away dockers? And outside of Jackson, who do you think Frio should or could target to bring in? Lob, Logan, Akers were all starting 18 in a team that was very close to finishing fourth. Is there a first and two second round picks there, Muzza from Geraldton?
0: I think if you're looking for that, for those players leaving, you're going to be disappointed. Um, the problem with Blake first, Akers... First round, not for um, Griffin Lowe. He was top 10 pick. Yeah, but look, he's, he's played... What's Griffin six years in? Yep. He's played just over 60 games. You know one thing? Like, Griffin's going for more money. And instead of Colin Young carrying on with all the bulldusters, there's no problem between me and Fremantle, which there has been all year. Sorry, Colin. Colin Young should just say, Griffin Logue has been offered more money than by North Melbourne. That's all you have to say. That's a legitimate reason to leave. Not everyone will agree with that, but Griffin Logue is a professional footballer if North Melbourne is offering more money than Fremantle. So what do we think it is? Four by... I reckon it's five times at least six. There you go. Five times
1: at least 600. 600. Okay, so as opposed to... Four
0: times Five.
1: Okay, so you're talking five... I know
0: Fremantle were around four times five. So I think if he's leaving... So that's significant coin to Absolutely, go. That's... And I, they are I, dog years, aren't they? And I never... Um, I've never had an issue with the Acres thing. Acres was... I think he's three times three fifty plus performance clauses. He's offered way unders at uh, now. No, that's Carlton's offer. Oh, okay, Fremantle was two times two something with a lot of performance clauses. Fremantle's view of Blake Acres is that Blake Acres should be allowed to earn four or five hundred thousand dollars if he performs, but he's only had one good year in seven or eight years in the system. So they wanted Blake Acres to earn his coin, and Blake Acres as he is absolutely allowed to, said, I want more guaranteed money. Um, So he gets an extra year and he gets more guaranteed money. Now, that's fine. That's okay. Um, And don't forget, as we've spoken about before, the list of young players in the queue waiting for Blake Acre's place in the team. So Liam Henry, uh, O'Driscoll, Erasmus, Matt Johnson, Carl Warner, and Ethan Hughes was retrained as a wingman. Um, at times during this season So that's six And most of them spent most of the year in the waffle um, Bailey Banfield Had to retrain as a pressure forward Because he couldn't play as a midfielder all Did a pretty
1: these, good job of it too
0: Yeah so all these things um, Factor into how I must keep Fremantle views Blake Akers as And also from Blake uh, Akers Point of view well I ain't earning That extra money they're talking about if I'm not playing In the AFL mm. So I think that's, that's absolutely legitimate trade Duff and Quarters,
1: non-Victorian teams have won one out of the last 10 premierships. Big Victorian clubs are using trading and free agency to get access to discounted early draft talent. They rebuild while staying in the eight via trading in players from non-Victorian clubs by offering a low travel career in front of large crowds with great future work and media opportunities. Sydney and Geelong are the only non-Melbourne clubs that can offer this. How can West Coast Frio compete as free agency and trading aren't an option due to travel, fixturing and location disadvantages? Players are leaving Perth to move to Melbourne with very few West Australians returning. Does the AFL need to stop the large Victorian clubs using the non-Victorian clubs as feeder clubs, especially GWS and Gold Coast? Gary from Duncraig. That's an excellent email. It's
0: an excellent email, but I disagree with it. Do you? Yeah. Why? Well, well let's go back at the who's played in the Grand Finals over that 10-year period. 2012 Sydney. GWS Adelaide, Sydney versus Sydney 2012, Fremantle 2013, Sydney 2014, West Coast 2015, Sydney 2016, Adelaide 2017, West Coast 2018, GWS 2019, um, Geelong obviously in 2020, and then two Melbourne clubs in 2021. There's been a lot of non-victory. If if you're getting to a grand final, you've had a hell of a season.
1: I agree. I, I, I don't agree. Obviously, though, that was incorrect about the, the the premierships, their grand finals. But he's got a point about the trading. I mean, right now we're seeing Richmond probably going to get two GWS starting midfielders.
0: They are. What has definitely happened is the strong Victorian clubs have picked off the the frontier and You club. look at
1: what's happened at GWS and Goldcase is been a disgrace. And every club, and we're all responsible. Hawthorne's responsible. Um, you know... I, I haven't liked it. They've had to reinvent themselves over again. You know and they've I'd, done a pretty good job.
0: You know what I'd be spending my money on if I was the AFL? I'd be working out how to get 20,000 bums on seats.
1: At GWS. At both.
0: Metricon well, they thought they had that. They thought
1: Buddy was going to GWS initially.
0: You do that, and I think the whole game changes. If they're playing in front of full stadiums, I think the whole game changes. I'm If I'm a kid... I don't want to be going to a giant stadium and playing in front of 10,000 people in a 23,000 stadium. And the same... Gold uh, Coast. Gold Coast and and Metricon. You know, just... They have to get those stadiums full. They do that. This whole situation changes very quickly. Because let's face it, quarters, Gold Coast is not a bad place to live if you're playing in an exciting environment. If you're a young fella, absolutely. Sydney's not a bad city to live in either. Mm. You know, so fix that. I reckon the problem goes away.
1: Hi Duff and Quarters, love the show and we will miss it over the off-season where we hope to bring you a few podcasts in the off-season. In the last 18 years, 10 grand finals have been contested between Victorian and non-Victorian teams. And in those games, 8 out of 10 were won by the Victorian teams, so they doubling down on your point Duff um, alarmingly, alarmingly at an average winning margin of 60 points this includes five grand finals where a non-Victorian team is technically the home team the two non-Victorian wins by Sydney and West Coast were the only true close games during that time 10 and 5 points Pope By preserving tradition and keeping the Grand Final always at the MCG, is the AFL damaging the quality of the contest? Does this damage the concept of the AFL as a national competition when all the teams outside of one state struggle to achieve the ultimate success? This is something made more apparent when there have only ever been three Grand Finals that have not included a Victorian team, and not since 2006. Should the AFL be looking at this trend and seeking solutions with the clubs? I think it is a shame when the showpiece game of the code is so regularly a one one-sided contest like last weekend. I'm not sure about the solution, but he, keen to hear your thoughts. Cheers, Aaron from Coburn.
0: It's a good email. Um, I go back to what I said before. If you get there, you're a very good team. I think the other thing is if you get there, you're generally a good enough team that your game style holds up anywhere. A few of those blowouts, there are significant circumstances involved, aren't there? Like GWS played Phil Davis injured. In 2019, um, Ben Reid at the weekend. Mm. Sometimes they've gotten things wrong. Keep making
1: the same mistake.
0: Yeah, don't do it. Just don't do it. Um, West Coast weren't quite ready in 2015. They played an MCG tenant in 2018. They were ready. They won. Um, I think there's a lot of – and let's not forget that 2020 and 2021 were played outside of Melbourne as well. So um, it's – every year's different. And if you're good enough, you'll stand up on the stage there we
1: forget quickly don't we how of course Richmond won the hub grand final on the goal um, in Brisbane Geelong got there Yep. It's just another great effort by Geelong. Yep. We soon, we forget that, don't we? Uh, just a couple to go. Uh, G'day, Duff and Quarters. Quick question on four Claremont League players. We were talking about this earlier. Duff, Ben Edwards, Ryan Lim, Bailey Rogers, last year's Sandover medalist, and Jai Bolton, two-time Sandover medalist. All four of the players dominate every week in the waffle, more than the West Coast and Peel Thunder Frio players do. Um, also more than two league players... Declan Mountford and Aaron Black, who both played games for West Coast this year. The exception of Jai Bolton, who's a bit older and has played AFL. Do you think that these players should get picked up by an AFL team? Love to hear your thoughts. Love the podcast. That's Charlie from Claremont. I'll just go through their ages. Ben Edwards is 23, 23 disposals in the preliminary final. Ryan Lim, 26, 18 disposals in the preliminary Bailey Rogers, 25, 21 disposals in the preliminary final, one goal. Jai Bolton is 30. Declan Mountford's twenty five. Um, Aaron Black, of course, is twenty nine.
0: So clearly, it's too late for Jai Bolton. We we used and to and Aaron Black. We talked for years about Jai Bolton and why a team wouldn't give him a chance. It's almost too late for Bailey Rogers. I suspect Bailey Rogers, if he's not a Pick up in this draft or rookie draft or next year's mid-season rookie draft. I suspect it will have passed him by. I I cross my fingers for him because I think deserves a chance. You'd love to see him on a list to see what he's capable of. Really excited about Ben Edwards. I'd be, you know what? I'd, I'd even be slightly surprised if Ben Edwards doesn't get a go with a with a team that just looks at him and goes, if we can fix that kicking, the evasion's elite, the speed is elite, the acceleration is elite, and he's only young yeah i'd be i'd be not stunned but slightly surprised if someone doesn't call the there've been out.
1: plenty of examples of players who've adjusted their kicking style yep. and have become elite so it can happen. Uh, Last one for this week. This is Zhu Ting from Dianella. I hope I've pronounced that well uh, right, Zhu Ting. If not, I apologise. Hi Quarters and Duff. I think Quarters would enjoy having his name read out first for a change. Thank you, Zhu Ting. My question for this week is, given the news surrounding a Tasmanian team, should the AFL start a development of a 20th team in the Northern Territory in the next few years to match when the Tassie team enters the competition? I would think it's quite inevitable that a 20th team would be needed to make fixtures easy And it would finally make the AFL touch every corner of Australia. Given how GWS and Gold Coast are struggling to get bums on seats, it'll make sense to get the two new teams into the competition ASAP to develop their fan base. Would love to hear your thoughts, Uh, Zuting. Shout out to the Purple Rain Boys who introduced me to your podcast that I listen to religiously twice a week. Thanks very much from that. Just on that, I I used to be uh, a bit wary of the NT. We've seen a lot of scrappy games up there, but generally they've been played at night, which is not suitable. But I think the time of year, I'm told, it's not over-the-top hot, uh, and... I can see it happening in the Northern Territory now. I really can. That's not, why I think 20 teams is possible.
0: Not over the top hot. What do you
1: call not over well, the top I mean, hot? Well, it's, it's 25, 26, 27, and it's humid, but it's not like 30-plus. And before you say that's <laughs> way too hot, they have to come down and play. They'll have to come
0: down and play in Tassie and Melbourne but aren't then, and Geelong. aren't then you're just creating more crappy games? I don't know so much. I think I think if we'll you play – We'll go up there and get our clocks cleaned, and they'll come down here and get necessarily if you
1: play it during the daylight hours. I'm not sure. I think I – think I'd like to see it happen.
0: 26 degrees with thick blood from winter? Mm. Quarters? Jeepers. Yep. It's scary
1: coming down here for them, though. Don't worry. <sighs> anyway, thanks for I'd rather for be your... them than the other way around. Thanks for, your, <laughs> thanks for your mail. Please send them to this address.
0: Send your mail to Duff
1: and Quarters at wanews.com.au.
0: Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. We have been brought to you by TabTouch. Those with the touch can better their bet. Download TabTouch today. Please gamble responsibly and please remember the gambler's helpline, 1-800-858-858 if you encounter any difficulties. Quarters, who's our clubhouse leader, you think, on the mailbag?
1: Um, I'm going to say... Um, I'm going to say Zhu Ting.
0: Zhu Ting. Zhu Ting, you're in front. We'll be back on Thursday to discuss further. If you're a fan of the podcast, why don't you get in touch? Send your thoughts to the Thirsty Camel Mailbag at duffandquarters at wanews.com.au. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and, of course, tell your mates. Thanks for listening. This has been the Duff and Quarters podcast on the game. You know who. It's unbelievable.